Crestmont family. It is lovely to be with you, and it's an honor to be able to bring God's word to you. I just want to tell you that, because that's what I tell myself when I'm preparing, and my nerves throughout the week and all the preparation, and as I'm starting to panic and going, I'm going to talk in front of all of these people, and then, and then the Lord calms me with saying, this is your family. This is an honor. So I just wanted to greet you and tell you it is an honor to bring God's word to you this morning. And I don't have much to give, but I have been promised that Jesus wants to give you his word this morning, and he wants to nourish your soul. So I ask that you would open up your hearts to that. Just a matter of point, something maybe we're not used to, but also the kids are in with us today, and I wanted you to know that I put out in your pews, I didn't, my friends did, um, sermon notes. So you can track along with us, and there's little fill in the blank here for um, those of you who are old enough and would be interested. If you do this, you will know when we're close to the end. So that might be, is like, oh, now I'm in. And if you don't want to take notes, on the back side, I have left it blank for you. So if you would like to, um, kids or anyone, if you would like to listen along with us or draw a picture that is in your mind while I'm speaking, I would be interested in looking at those after the service is over. So if you would like to draw a picture, that's more than fine. And I know Jemira has had some things available for you as well. So if you would, please... Turn in your Bibles. It's going to be on the screen, too. So if you'd like to have it in front of you in your Bible, to Matthew 18, and we'll be reading verses 15 through 20. But before I get into that, let me just do the recap, as um, Joel did last week, because uh, we're in a portion of Scripture that all connects together. So if we just talk about these six verses or Joel's six verses or other verses, we kind of lose the big picture. So we want to connect the dots for you. So we know that Matthew's gospel has several of these discourses, several chapters that are all linked together, and Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples. And that's what he's doing in this chapter as well. But this is just part of the conversation. He didn't just pick up right here. So he is talking, since he is closer and closer to his main mission, which is his death on the cross for our sins, which we all know, he is getting into more serious conversations with his disciples and followers. He is starting to talk to them about the real deal. And this particular discourse is about the kingdom. And it starts off with them just talking about taxes, a couple, a chapter and a half past. And then it talks about... Um, uh, the greatest in the kingdom and the least, and not causing any of these little ones to stumble, which was what Joel was speaking about last week. And then just prior to the passage that we're going to talk about today, Jesus talks about the heart of the Father. And he says, Father God is like a man with a hundred sheep. And one of those sheep got lost. And he went out and left the 99 to go find that sheep and bring that sheep back. And how happy was he when he found that lost sheep? He was happier bringing that lost sheep back than, all of the, than with all of the 99 who he had. That is the Father's heart, our Father God's heart for lost. And we are all lost sheep. Um, so, 
This is the progression of things. And right on the heels of this, the very next verse is what we're going to read. If you would stand in honor of God's word, I'll read the passage to you. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. You may be seated. So our main idea for today is where mercy flows, Jesus is present. So we're going to talk about today what is mercy, how does it work, and why is it important? What is mercy, how does it work, and why is it important? Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I'm standing up here as a vessel for you to use. I am open to your Holy Spirit, and you have promised me that you will come. So I ask, Lord, that you would use this scripture, these words, and that you would nourish souls here today, Lord, because that is something I cannot do. So we are asking for a miracle today that you would tune our heart to your voice. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. So what is mercy? Actually, in this whole passage, the word mercy is not found. It's just the concept that I see at play. So let's come up with a, a definition of what mercy is for here. There are many definitions that we could use, but what I see here at play is mercy is when truth of who we are, of what is real, and forgiveness meet and come together. Because mercy is the place where we don't deny the truth of who we really are, but we also receive the payment on our behalf of Christ. That's mercy for us. It is 100% truth, 100% forgiveness, and that's where they meet. So we were just here at the communion table, and that's exactly what we were focusing on. We were focusing on the truth of who we are, that we are sinners, that we know that we have done wrong, and that we are wrong in some regards. Some things that we can't even fix about ourselves, that we're totally at God's mercy to come in and help us with who we are. And that's what this table represents. It reminds us that everything we need for our fallen condition has been met generously by Jesus. He has poured himself out to fill in all of our cracks. And that is what we have celebrated here today. So in this passage, we see that we are full. We are full of this mercy. It has been poured out on us. And Jesus is saying, in this process, 
that we are then to go out and pour out his mercy to others. That's our job. So let's look. We'll go on in our notes, and we'll say, so how does mercy work? It works in confession and confrontation because we have to agree that something's wrong, that we are in some kind of sin, and then we have to confess that and receive the forgiveness of Christ. That's how it works. So I'm going to go through a little acronym and give you point by point, and at the end, the column will spell a word. I'll try not to give away the word until the very end. But Matthew 18, 15, just as a review, says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you, and if they listen to you, you have won them over. So our first point is, to take notice of this verse, is that it's relational. That this confrontation, that when your brother sins or your sister sins, that right now Jesus is saying, wait, when this happens, I'm talking about between your brother and sister. And it's just, Joel just mentioned, your brother or sister is someone who has a relationship with Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, and they have a relationship with you. That's your brother or sister. We were adopted as sons of daughters, sons and daughters into the family of God. He is our father, and by default, we are brothers and sisters with one another. And in this local body, we have these relationships with each other that, as we grow closer and closer, become very family-like. And we become very um, aware of each other's siblingness. Um, <laughs> Perhaps you have siblings, perhaps your children are siblings, perhaps you've watched television where there are siblings, and you know how these things can happen with brothers and sisters. So first of all, Jesus is saying, now what I'm talking about here is between your brothers and your sisters. Okay, there may be some benefit of this process that Jesus is talking about to unbelievers who are outside the family of God. It may be uh, beneficial to people who you are believers who you don't know very well. This process is certainly willing. But I think Jesus, on the heels of them asking, so who's the greatest in the kingdom? I think he was talking about, hey, y'all who know each other really well and you're fighting right now between your brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters, this is how I want you to handle that. That's, so your first letter is R, and it's for relational on your chats. The next one is O, and it must be an offense. This is a sin against God. When I'm doing my sermon prep and I'm looking at this word, this was the hardest part for me. What is sin? What is sin? What is sin? I know all the definitions in my head, and this word is defined the same way. Sin is... If you imagine a bullseye, and the very center is the bullseye, is the mark, and you are the marksman, if you miss that very center bullseye, you have missed the mark. So this sin word is missing the mark. So if the mark now in our spiritual life is God's perfection and holiness at all time in thought, word, and deed, we can, maybe you can understand my problem, we are all missing the mark all the time. So if your brother or sister sins against you, if it's your brother or your sister, 
and they sin against you, how are we not in constant, perpetual confrontation with each other? Oh, there you did again. Oh, I saw that. That would not be consistent with the gospel. So what is this, what is this grid? So I did get some help with this um, from the scripture. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. So it is very biblical for us to be aware that we are all missing the mark all the time. We all miss the mark. Another way to define it is all of us in Crestmont have been deposited in this geographical location at this time frame, and our lives all intersect, and we all agree that Scripture is, holds the truth for our lives, and we all agree that we are pursuing God's holiness on a path together. We are in agreement on that, and we are walking that path together. And so another definition of sin would be, I've stepped off the path. I have gone into the woods. Um, I have um, fallen down the hill, <laughs> so to speak. But we are all agreeing that we're walking on this path together. Another verse uh, in 1 Peter is that, um, is it, I didn't write it down. It is uh, love. Love covers a multitude of sins. And so our love for one another, we are going to know, oh, she, she's just a baby Christian. Of course she stepped off the path. Come on back. Come on back. Come on back. And we're just going to love each other, and we're just going to, we're just going to cover a multitude of sins, and we're going to keep each other on the path and, and reeled in and walking on together. But it is important that if we're going to our brother and sister, it must be an offense. We have a lot of cultural uh, difficulties and misunderstandings, and that's not what this is talking about. Not everything that maybe offends us is sin. We might need to just go and talk to somebody and understand where they're coming from. And that, you can certainly follow this process and get to the same conclusion. So let's go into the next one. So it's relational. It's an offense. But it is a prayerful, protective process. Jesus built that in. He wanted this to be a prayerful, protective process. He said, there is a criteria that I have for you to go to your brother and sister in Christ. And one uh, uh, of the suggestions of this in a very good uh, Peacemaker book by Ken Sandy was um, to do this grid in my head. Is it hurting them? Are they on a self-destructive path? Then I might want to confront them about this. Is it hurting others? Is this really hurting others? We saw you know, just a few verses back Jesus was very firm about not causing little ones to stumble. Is it hurting other people, this sin? Or what is most common, is it causing a rift in our relationship? Is it separating us? Is it dividing us from one another? And then he says, go and have this conversation. But we can't know that unless we stop for a minute and pray and say, this is a process. This is a process that I have to go through. Jesus mentions in another place in Matthew about removing the log from your own eye before you move a, remove a speck from a brother's eye. So it's really good to look on the inside of what is my motivation, why am I going, why am I doing this, um, 
it is our human nature to want to talk to somebody else about it and not to talk to that person. Just is. That's what we want to do. It's also our human nature for some of us and our personality types to be aggressive, just to pop off. I'm going to nip this in the bud. I'm going to go talk to you right now. I'm not going to go to any process. You're in sin. You're my brother. I'm going to correct you right now. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. And then there's also, um, there's also something in our American culture that is kind of um, really prevalent, and it is just to cut you off, ignore you, disassociate from you, encapsulate you, put you off to the side, stop relating to you. And that is also not this process. Jesus is calling us into communication when one of these sins, offenses, is happening between us. So let's move on. Uh, Let me mention one verse, Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for binding building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So my motivation in going to somebody else is not my benefit. It's not so that I feel better. It's not so I repair this relationship. It's so that you can be back on the path with us, so that the Father can have you back in the fold as a sheep. So the next slide. It is also an intimate process. I is the word. We protect people and we cover sin with mercy. So what helped me is to imagine that sin is like a cut on your arm, except it's a cut on your soul. And if I had a cut on my arm right here, maybe my first inclination would be to go like this, just stop the bleeding. Oh my goodness, I have a cut on my arm and then I'm going to then I'm going to go somewhere else. But maybe I can't get the Band-Aid on. Maybe it's, you know, too hard for me. Have you ever tried to get a Band-Aid on with one hand? It's very difficult if you're all by yourself. But what I do with this um, is I don't cover my sin, my sin, my cut to hide it. I cover it because it's a little tender. It's a little sore. I don't want anybody to see that cut. And then I might show somebody that cut, but I'm going to show it to somebody who can help me. I, I want to protect that. And so as we are that other brother or sister looking at a sin or a soul wound, what we do is we apply this. We intimately, quietly protect it. There's a, a certain amount of vulnerability that's called for in the church, that we come and we talk about our sin. But when we are at the pl- place of we have a bleeding wound, we don't want to expose those germs We don't want to expose that to germs and infection. We want to go to people that can help us dress that wound, clean that wound, cover that wound, and heal that wound. So it's an intimate process. It's just between me and you. Then, uh, the next slide, it is necessary. It's not optional. Can I just say that I didn't pick this passage, that I would not choose to talk to you about confrontation, but it's very good for me to do that because I would be one of these people, and some of you would rather preach this message than go and confront somebody about their sin. And I know how nerve-wracking that can be. So 
you are non-confrontational. You can't think about anything worse than to go to somebody and say, excuse me, I think there might be something going on here, and confront someone with their sins. So um, I can appreciate that, but I have to say that Jesus wants this stuff talked about. He wants you to talk about it. He wants mercy to flow in us, out of us. He wants healing to happen through our confession, through agreeing that we're missing the mark. He doesn't want us to pretend that we're hitting the mark because we're not hitting the mark. He wants us to show mercy and grace and compassion so that we can be healed. James 1.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. My brothers, if one of you should wander off from the truth and someone should bring that person back, Remember, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's how we do it for each other. Okay, last one. Gently. Go gain your brother. Go win your brother. You know, when you read these scriptures, it just seems like if a brother's in sin, number one, I'm going to pray about it. Yep, it's sin. I'm going to help them out. Good. I'm going to go to that brother intimately. Yep, got that. I'm uh, just he and I for their, their good. I'm going to go to them. Oh, they didn't hear me. Now I'm going to bring two people in. It's not that. I looked up um, this verse, and the going gently is more of a keep going. Go again. Talk to that person again. Mention it again. There's another place in Scripture that says be filled with the Holy Spirit. You might know that passage, but what it really translates better as is a be being filled, a constant being filled, and that's the same type of verb here. This go is a gentle process. Keep going. Keep trying to reach your goal with that person. Go again if they don't see it. Go again. Try again. Now, obviously, there are certain circumstances of self-destructive behaviors or really hurting other people, and we need to say, you know what, we need to really help this person get on the path, or there's going to be a lot of extra wounds. But when it's our offenses with one another, we can just keep going, keep coming back, keep going, keep coming back, and, and induce that confession because it's that confession that brings healing when we agree. So... Can I just tell you, this is an optional part, but I really like it. So I'm just going to throw it in real quick because I really like it. So back in Genesis, when um, Adam and Eve had it, eaten the forbidden fruit, they hid. They hid, and they clothed themselves with fig leaves, right? We're all familiar. But this is what God did. This was his going gentle process. He came he came into the garden and he said, Adam, where are you? And I thought that was lovely. That's a lovely approach to someone who you think might be in sin, is to ask a question and say, so where are you right now? What's going on with you? He asked that question of Adam. And Adam says, well, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So what does God do? He asks another question. And he says, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Do you see how gentle God is, how he's saying, um, did you eat from the tree? Question, question. And Adam says, I ate from it. Well, he did a lot of blaming along the way. He did, you know, have that, you know, self-protective defense mechanism going on. It was the woman and this kind of thing. And then the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? Because there's something about us that knows that we're not right. And there's something healing when we say it to someone else. That is where Jesus is. So when we can induce that confession in a safe environment and say, tell me, what have you done? What have you done? Tell me about it. I want to forgive you. I want to be Jesus to you right now and apply the mercy that he's given to all of us. So anyway, um, so the next scripture is, but if they will not listen. Did you get the word yet? The word is roping. So we're not like lassoing people around. I want you to think of this roping more of we are plants that are trying to grow straight. And sometimes when those plants start to bend over, what do we do? We pitch a stake and we tie a rope around that to make that plant stand up straight so that it can get the best benefit from the sun and the rain. So that's what we do for each other. We rope people to the truth. We rope people to the mercy of God. There's forgiveness for that sin. There's forgiveness for you. Whatever it is, come, let's, let's be roped to the truth together. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of one or two, two, two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses, it sounds like, you know, um, judge's chamber or something like that. But actually, what this means is a neutral party. What it does is it opens up this person who's confronting to scrutiny. Let's like, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not seeing this correctly. Let's bring in a third party to hear us talk about this together. It's not like I'm going to tell my friend. My friend's going to come in here and she's going to tell you. No, it is let's, let's get a third party in here. Maybe I'm not doing it right. It's with ultimate humility. So if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church and if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Just a, a note here. Um, there were no mega churches in Jesus' day, and he's talking to his disciple, disciples and his followers. So when he says a church, I mean, this would be a mega church, you know, compared to probably some of Jesus' disciples and followers. So what Jesus is kind of telling to his disciples and followers is, not tell it to the whole church, like stand that person up here and guess what, everybody? Liar, told three lies, busted, you know, right here, won't repent. That's not going to happen. Have you seen that happen here? That's why this doesn't happen. What, what Jesus is saying is there is this four-step process and the end goal in the whole process of all four steps is that this person receives mercy. That's, that's Jesus' goal all the way down the line. He is not looking to punish anyone. He took the punishment. The punishment has been paid. He is looking for us to increase opportunity for someone to receive mercy. That's what Jesus wants. So when we present someone to the church, it is to 
a, again, intimate, protective group of church leadership so that we can explain truth to someone, so that we can bring them back to the, to the path. But you know what? Not everybody um, has accepted Christ, has accepted the truth of the gospel of Jesus' forgiveness, uh, uh, shed blood for our forgiveness of sin. And you know what? They're not aiming at that bullseye. They're not even aiming at that target. They're aiming over there. So maybe in our conversations, what we learn and discover is, well, that's not even my goal. That's not even my trajectory. And in that case, we might treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. What do we do with pagans and tax collectors? We go back to the basics of who Jesus is and what he's done for you and the benefits of living in his kingdom, which is forgiveness and mercy. This is not a shunning process, although there's a lot to church discipline. If you want to have a good nitty-gritty on that, love to do that. Not here, not now. <laughs> um, and then finally, the last couple of verses say, truly, whatever I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. These verses are not often packaged together, and it was difficult for me to look at the flow of things, but now they're flowing for me quite nicely because Jesus desires for us to be bound together as a covenant family. He desires for us to be bound together in love, in his mercy, for us to be bound together as we're walking on the path. He does not intend for us to do that alone. And if someone does not want to be on the path, the loose is to be free from. The loose is to let go. It's like if you don't want to be bound to this path, if you're not walking on this journey toward Christ, you may be released. You can go. And that is a, a beautiful thing. And it does speak to the church's authority, too, that to hold the standard. This is what Jesus has laid out for Scripture in Scripture is truth. We're not defining truth for ourselves. We are receiving truth from God because mercy is when truth and forgiveness meet. So we're not going to rearrange truth. We're going to receive the whole truth of Scripture, and we're going to receive the Scripture, the forgiveness that Jesus provides. And finally, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them is at the end of the binding and the loosing. It's at the end of the confrontation. It is at the point that we have agreed that there is sin here. We agreed that we have fallen off the path and we have applied the mercy because where truth is and forgiveness intersect, there Jesus is right in the middle. That is mercy. Jesus is right in the middle where truth and forgiveness come together. And we, this is on your sermon notes, are pitchers of that mercy. Remember how he said we, we've just been poured out? We've just been filled with God's mercy. So we are agents and pitchers of mercy, pouring that forgiveness out, reminding each other, God's forgiven that. You've, you can receive forgiveness for that. He's covered that sin. You don't have to hide. You don't have to cover that up with your fig leaves. He's got covering for you. 
You can come back to the family. You can walk with us. We walk together. We exchange mercy with one another. We remind each other of the truth of what God has given to us. So interestingly, when we allow mercy to flow, Jesus is present. And interestingly, the very next verses, right after that, Peter came up to Jesus, kind of on the side. I can just imagine him thinking like this and saying, hmm, and said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who, or who sins against me? Up to seven times? The, the Jewish requirement was three, so he was being so generous, more than double. I'll give you more than double, Jesus. And what does Jesus says, say? He says, I answer you not seven times, but 70 times seven. Jesus said, to infinity and beyond. There is, he said that. He did. That's what it means. It is this number of perpetual fullness. It is like you don't even understand how great, how much is the mercy. You cannot run out of this forgiveness. And now that we know that we are always missing the mark, that we are always just a little short, stepping off the path, stepping back on the path, you have to know there is no limit to the mercy that you can receive, and there is no limit to the mercy you can give because there's no limit. There is no limit. He has already known every error, every mistake, every trip, every everything that we are going to do, thought, word, and deed, and he has covered it. It is forgiven, and you can help your brother or sister tap into the forgiveness of Christ.